I'm continuing our series on living generous lives today. And two weeks ago, I, I looked at how generosity is a learned habit. Um, that being generous isn't just something that kind of happens haphazardly. Uh, that sometimes that we just walk past and think, in the moment, we'll be generous. Yes, that does happen, but generosity is something so much larger than that. Over time, we can develop habits in which we become open-handed with our time, our money, our possessions, our compliments. I don't know whether you've ever been around somebody who's just so incredibly encouraging. The guy that spoke, spoke last week, Andy, just the gift of encouragement. He even rang me. He'd given out all weekend. He'd spoken in the evening, and he rang me on the way back up to Carlisle just to encourage me. I'm like, I wish I'd have thought to do that to you. But just our compliments, our encouragement, our emotional availability, and our service. And generosity is, is a learned habit of being open-handed. And I used this analogy two weeks ago, and I guess it's the analogy that would, that would run through um, just this image of open-handedness and the difference between this and this. Because the reality is most people in this world live life like this, and they live life like owners rather than stewards. And the difference with a steward is somebody who sits there before the Lord, and they're like, Lord, it's all yours. You give and you take away. And what happens is that when, when our hands are open, the Lord can pour in. In that moment, he can pour in, he can give us. When we're like this, we're all closed up. It's very difficult. And so I asked people a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, what are you like? Would you say that this is your posture? Or maybe the claw, you know, like the halfway of kind of, I'm kind of open-handed about some things, all the way through to, and then there's that, which is, I'm an owner, get your hands off, it's mine, it's my precious. <laughs> I'm not gonna try and do the voice to that. But, but we're made in God's image. The Lord is so generous. He's so kind. And as human beings, we are designed to be generous. We don't do well when we're ungenerous. Proverbs 11, 24 to 25, again, that I looked at, it says this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. As we hold on to things... We, because we become stingy, our, our life closes in on itself and we become more and more anxious. The antidote to anxiousness is open-handedness. Now, Pete Spears, the legend that is Pete Spears, was telling me a story a couple of weeks ago about Open Door, which is our Friday church for the vulnerably housed and the homeless community. We have a, a congregation service that runs on, on a Friday morning. And... Martin was speaking about the widow's might. And for those of you that don't know that parable, I'm just going to read it just so that you've got a little idea of what it says. It just says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings was put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. So he'd been speaking on this, and we don't normally take a collection within that community, but they felt it was appropriate to do so that day. And that community gave 36 pounds that day. And 
That might not sound like a lot of money to you, but it was a huge amount of money for the 12 people that were there that day. That that was generosity, that that was a generosity of heart. They gave generously because it's not about the amount, it's about the heart attitude. Generosity is about the heart. There's another story I shared just over a year ago about there were a couple in our church that were asylum seekers and so they weren't with us, they were with us for about three months and one day we opened the offering and there was just this little note in the offering and there were five 10 pound Tesco gift cards inside and there was a little note just saying, please would you accept our gift of our tithe? We don't actually have any money but we do have Tesco vouchers and they work at the tills. And you're like, wow. Just extravagant that I remember it's the kind of note that you read and you weep because in that moment you're like, oh, you've, you've caught the heart of generosity. You understand it. It's a beautiful thing. So my hope is that whether you're already a generous giver or you're new to the subject, you'll find something that I share that will inspire you. That's really my hope because money is a ridiculously difficult topic to speak on. There's two topics as a, as a preacher or as a pastor or whatever you call me that are particularly difficult, sex and money. Power, that's a bit easier. It would be the money, sex and power. Power's actually a bit easier because nobody thinks they've got a power problem. But they're like, I don't have a problem with that. But actually when you start talking about money and sex, they're difficult topics, why? Because they're close to our hearts, aren't they? If you talk about love, you know, it's like everybody can kind of engage. When you start talking about money, what happens in that moment is it can bring up emotion. It's like, oh, you're talking about something that's so core to me. That's mine. Don't talk about this. And so even that word sometimes, can, you might be sitting there and you just feel emotion at that point of, oh. And do you know what? There will be a number of you that have, that have walked in here today and financially you feel absolutely strangled. That you're feel, you feel that your finances are strangling you. And I just, can I just pray before I launch in because I'm just aware that this is what happens when you're talking about money. And so I just want to pray that the Lord would break that off of you. There is nothing worse than waking up every day. I've met with a number of people over the years and they're just like, I wake up every day and the first thing I think about is my finances. It's a horrible place to live in. And so I just want to pray that the Lord would break that right now. Jesus, we just invite you in. For those that have walked in here today and financially it sucks, I give them into your care right now and I pray for freedom. I pray for the peace of God that passes understanding. I pray for your provision for them. I pray for wisdom to make good choices. And Lord, would that feeling be gone in the name of Jesus? Amen. I wanted to start by just saying I don't have a hidden agenda here. There may be a few cynics here who might be thinking they're only speaking on this subject because they want the church's income to go up. While that's not the only reason, I can tell you quite openly that that is one of the reasons. I'm not embarrassed about that. I'm so excited about what the Lord's doing in this community. And I would want it said of us that we are an outrageously generous community. That's one of our values, to be outrageously generous. And to me, that's not about the amount of money. It's about the heart attitude of our people. 
So again, those stories that I shared earlier, it's about a heart attitude, it's not about the number. And we become outrageously generous because each one of us has caught God's heart for the way that we use our finances. We are in a season of growth right now as a church. We are expanding to another site that we have momentum and energy, more for ministry than I've ever seen, that people are coming to us and saying, can we start this? Can we do this? Can we start this Alpha course? They're wonderful, wonderful problems to have. No, you can't. How dare you want to do something for the kingdom? As a church, we're moving faster than ever before. And we want to step into all of the fullness that Jesus has for us. That's our heart. And the truth is, ministry costs money. It's the generosity of those who give financially week in, week out, who opened up this building. They put the lights on. They paid for the people to open up. They enabled the refreshments to be free when you walked in. They provided the space for the children's church this morning. They they enabled Open Door to happen, this congregation that I talked about. I could fill in the blank on multiple different things. So I just wanted to start by saying a massive thank you to you. If you are somebody that gives week in, week out, month in, month out, thank you. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for your sacrifice. Second only to the great theme of the kingdom of God, the subject Jesus is recorded teaching about most is money. So you've got these two themes, money and the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God comes first. He spoke more about the kingdom of God than money. And then he spoke about money secondly. About a third of the words that Jesus is recorded as saying is about money. So therefore, if I was to preach in line with that, (laughs) anyway, we're not going to go that. We'd we'd be, I can't quite work out the maths, but something around 17 talks a year, one in three. I'm going to let you off. I speak on it twice a year, just so you know. But why did the greatest teacher who's ever lived make money one of the two main topics of his teaching? Do you know what? I think the answer is quite simple. Jesus believed that money is the number one rival to God for the human heart. Jesus believed that money is the number one rival to God for the human heart. Matthew 6, 24 says this, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Do you know what? Money is a horrible master. Most of the people in our nation have money as their God. Mammon, as it's called in the scriptures. That would be their God. That would be who they are serving. And money is a horrible master. You can't have the Lord money because what happens when you begin to serve the Lord is that you begin to say, Lord, everything that I have is yours. My gifts, my talents, it's all yours. It's to be used for you, to be used for your service. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19 in the message says this, tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves quite harsh, and so obsessed with money which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. Do you know what? I often think about how fragile life is. I don't know whether any of you have had a chance of chatting to an asylum seeker over the last couple of months. Often the asylum seekers that are coming into our nation are very, very well-educated people who have been running from a situation, either their country has blown up, literally, and they've had to be forced to go, or they're being persecuted, often for their faith. But when you speak to somebody 
like that, you suddenly realize, wow, they were in a situation that was probably pretty stable and everything's changed. And actually, we have to be so grateful for the stability of the situation that we find ourselves in, don't we? But we are all rich, comparatively speaking. That's the point I'm making. Even if we don't think that we have a lot. A recent Gallup poll found that rich, this word rich, was roughly double the amount possessed by each person surveyed. So, in other words, if you were to earn £15,000 a year, what would you consider to be rich? £30,000. You'd be there. Somebody that has £30,000 is rich. If you earn £30,000, how much do you think would be rich? £60,000. If you earn £60,000, how much do you think is rich? £120,000. Isn't that fascinating? We always compare upwards. We never, well, we very rarely compare downwards when it comes to finances. So when we use this word rich, most of us go, I'm not rich. That person's rich because we're always comparing upwards. Paul is just saying, don't be so obsessed with money and all of the stuff that you can get with money and try to find your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your identity, your security, your happiness in what you can buy. It's not gonna work. Go after God. He'll take care of your needs and do it, do it so abundantly. He won't always give us what, he, what we want, but he will give us what we need. And those two things are vastly different. He won't always give us what we want, but he does give us what we need. Don't spend it on ourselves. Give it away. Invest it in God and his purposes. Serve the Lord with your money. And if you do that, you're building up eternal treasures, treasures for this life and for the life to come, which truly is the life that he desires for us. Paul here was reinforcing what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 19 to 20. These are amazing verses. Sometimes when you heard a verse a number of times, you think that you know a verse. You're like, I know this verse. Do you? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what does it mean in practice to store up treasures in heaven? Because many Christians subconsciously read what Jesus is writing here as a call to selflessness. It's like, oh, that's what it is. It's just selflessness. Rather than storing up treasure and amassing things for yourself, store up treasure for others or store up treasures for God. Don't be selfish. Be selfless. But is that really what Jesus is saying? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Many years ago, a foreign element entered Christianity via the humanistic philosopher called Immanuel Kant. Some of you, like, have heard of him. And his thesis went this way, that if a person benefits from their activity there is something wrong with that activity. He said that the highest motive possible for a human being is to be selfless. So many Christians latched onto this, and so millions of Christians are doing their very, very best to be selfless. And however, as grand as it may sound, it's not the teaching that we have right here. And it's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. In, in Luke 12, 33, Jesus is recorded as adding, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Provide purses for yourself, store up for yourselves. Rich Nathan said that these two words for yourselves are key to understanding the motive for obedience to Jesus in the area of money. 
money, Jesus seems to be appealing to a motive of what is best for me in the long term. Randy Alcorn wrote an extraordinary book called The Treasure Principle. If you, if you want some reading around this, what I love about his book is he's a man that really understands this. He was a man who had a lot of money. He wrote books, earned a lot of money, and then he was sued. And he was sued to such an extent that he could only keep a minimal salary, like a basic wage. That was all he was allowed to keep. And so when he's writing about the treasure principle, you're reading about somebody that actually knows what they're talking about, that he has experienced it. And in it, he says... Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. If you stop reading too soon, you would have thought that Christ was against our storing up treasure for ourselves. No, he's all for it. In fact, he commands it. Jesus has a treasure mentality. He wants us to store up treasures. He's just telling us to stop storing them in the wrong place and start storing them in the right place. Store up for yourselves. Doesn't it seem strange that Jesus commands us to do what's in our own best interests? Wouldn't that be selfish? No, God expects and commands us to act out of enlightened self-interest. He wants us to live to his glory, but what is to his glory is always to our good. So you might be saying to yourself, well, how is giving my stuff away to my good? I've got less money in the bank. When do I feel the benefits of my investment? When do I get to enjoy this treasure? And what is this treasure like? What's this treasure that he's talking about? Well, firstly, Jesus tells us that this treasure can be immediate. Because it's often in the very moment of giving and generosity that God blesses us with a sense of joy as we give. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's basically saying this is about your attitude. This is about your heart. Don't give under compulsion. The Greek word translated as cheerful is hilarious. And some of you might work out what that might be. From the word hilarious, I was always very awesome at Greek. I did Greek for a year. I was a failure. I can tell you that. But we get the word hilarious. There we go, right there. Hilarious, anyway. Hilarious, tough crowd. But <laughs> it's hot, it's hot. There, what I'm trying to say is there is a joy in giving which people who hold on to their money never get to experience. You may recall a time when you've given a gift to someone and you felt far more blessed giving it than you probably did in receiving it. I remember a few years ago, the joy of giving our car away, that me and Jen, we needed to buy a new car, and the Lord said, do you know what, this old one, I want you to give it away. You could sell it, but I want you to give it away. And so then beginning to go on that journey of praying, Lord, Who's this going to be for? Who do you want to give this to? There is amazing freedom in being able to give stuff away, making ourselves less well off. So this treasure is in part immediate. And if you don't believe me, ask if there is anything that the Lord wants you to give away and to whom. So we're just going to wait for a moment. And I want you to ask this question of the Lord. Lord, is there anything that you want me to give away that I own? And to who would you have me give it to? So Lord, just pray right now. If there's something that we own that you want somebody else to have, just open up our hearts right now. Speak. Show us the person that we should give it to. 
Jesus' name, amen. It's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? When you stop and think, oh Lord, do you want me to have everything that I have? Because most of the time we don't ask that question, do we? It's like, it's mine. Again, we're thinking like owners, not stewards. When we start saying, Lord, it's yours, what do you want to do with it? Lord, you've entrusted it to me for this long in my life, but maybe it's time to give it on to somebody else. And then secondly, it's abundant. So it's immediate in that moment that giving, it's a blessing to give. And then it's abundant. Let's read on. God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Jesus said it in Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. So this principle, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. As you give it away, as you give things away, as you break the power of mammon, as you step into freedom and you just say, Lord, I don't need to own this. It will be given back to you. That's what the Lord's saying. The Lord loves to reward us when we give. Now, sometimes that reward is financial. And many of us could tell amazing stories of financial blessings, which are way beyond coincidence following our faithful giving. But it's not always financial. I do not believe in something called prosperity gospel, just to make that really clear for you. Prosperity gospel is really the idea that as I give, that the Lord will bless me even more. So if I give 10 pounds, the Lord will give me 20 pounds. Do you know what? I think that there is an amazing principle in giving that as we give that the Lord will reward us. I just don't think it's always financial. Sometimes there is a sacrificial thing. Sometimes the Lord says, I want you to give this away. And you're like, I love that. And he's like, give it away anyway, and it doesn't come back. So it's a bit of both. But one of the ways that I've been abundantly blessed is seeing lives change, which had I and others not given would not have happened. We recently had the privilege of planting Ruth and Nathan Gilbert into Falmouth to plant a vineyard church. And they felt God speaking to them last March, and we commissioned them in January. And they have their first public gathering this coming Thursday. That is really exciting. So they've moved to Falmouth, they've started, and now they're opening the doors. Now, as a church, we gave them nearly 15,000 pounds to launch that church. We, we took up an offering of which there were nearly 8,000 pounds that we gave. We also gave them a financial gift on top of that from our church funds. So what does that mean? Well, it means that our generosity has paid for this first meeting and a few more meetings to come. So even though we can't be there, we're invested. It's a beautiful thing to invest in the kingdom, to be able to sit there and go, do you know what? The, the kingdom isn't extending because of something that we've been able to give to as a community. That's a wonderful thing. If you give to this church, then you're a part of making that happen. You're seeing the kingdom released. So it can be immediate and it can be abundant. And then finally, it's eternal. The Bible promises us that every time we give, it's an investment into the future and our reward will be there when we get to heaven. Rand Yalcon again, he says this, whatever treasures we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasures we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. Now that's a thought, isn't it? When you have read that passage before about storing up treasures in heaven, what do you think that means? Again, I think we've often viewed it as being selfless. No, I think it's more than that. I think that we don't have a great concept of heaven. 
Within the Western world, this idea of heaven is one that we struggle to get our, our minds around. We're like, this isn't it. It's like, no, one day we get to go and be with the Lord. We don't understand exactly how we'll be rewarded, but the Bible is clear that our experience of heaven will be affected by how we live these brief few, few years on earth. Jesus said, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Part of our reward, what we have stored up for ourselves is that we will spend eternity with many people who would probably not have been there if you and I hadn't invested our money in the kingdom. Because of your serving, your loving, your giving, we'll get to enjoy heaven surrounded by thousands of people who came to faith through this church and the churches that we plant out of here. Sometimes we're not going to see the return in this life, but there is a promise that we will experience it in eternity. There is an analogy that I find really, really helpful to think about when it comes to this. And it's, of, it's really this idea that our lives have two phases. Our present life on earth is a dot. So think about that for a moment. Think about a tiny dot. It begins, it ends, and it's brief. That is our life. But from that dot extends a line that goes on forever. That line goes on forever. So you've got the dot and then you've got the line. Right now, we're living in the dot. But what are we living for? The short-sighted person lives for the dot. The person with the perspective lives for the line. Can you see how that would change the way that you think about everything? Living for the line rather than living for the dot. Kingdom generosity is living for the line. It's changing our mindset. In this passage, Jesus is essentially saying, live for the line, not for the dot. An example from scripture of someone who lived for the line and not the dot is Moses. His choice to invest is recorded in Hebrews eleven twenty six. By faith, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I believe that the question it leaves us with today is, where do we want to invest the resources God has entrusted us to? Here? The line or the dot? This treasure principle affects how we view death. He who lays up treasures on earth, on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures. To him, death is loss. He who lays up treasures in heaven looks forward to eternity. He's moving daily towards his treasures. To him, death is gain. He who spends his life moving away from his treasures has reason to despair. He who spends his life moving towards his treasures has a reason to rejoice. In talking about investing in the kingdom, I do not mean to communicate that generosity doesn't cost. I really need to make that clear. It does. Generosity costs. At various times, many of us here, including Jen and myself, have felt the financial strain and squeeze. We've often gone without some of the things that some of our contemporaries have been able to afford. We choose to live below our means in order that we can be generous. If you live up to your means or beyond your means, by its very nature, it's very difficult to be generous. And the problem is, is that the, that is what the world tells us. You deserve it. You're worth it. The word that might be used is that we're entitled. An entitled people that, that it's for us. Do you know what? It's utterly countercultural to live in a way that you'd say, I'm going to live beneath my means. Do you know what? I could probably afford that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go there in order that I can be generous. 
That's what I mean about generous, generosity being intentional and not just something that we walk past and we're like, oh, okay, well, that's nice. I can be generous in that moment. What does it mean to be intentionally generous? Do you know what? And this is a slightly younger crowd this evening. It's so much easier if we get this sorted when we're younger. Can I tell you that? If you get this sorted when you're younger, it is so much easier. Let me explain. I started tithing as a student when you feel that you don't have very much. So for me, I might have, I don't know, 10 or 15 pounds a month was my tithe. It didn't feel like very much, but it was a principle. And actually then, it was a lot of money to me. But once you've set that up as a principle in your life, what happens when you get more? Well, you're like, this is amazing, I've got more. Therefore, it's this principle of first fruits. You're like, do you know what? This isn't a big deal to me because I've set it up. However, if you reach into your 40s and 50s and this is something that you haven't set up within your life, it is very, very difficult to come back because suddenly you're like, yes, but I've built my whole life around this financial structure that I've tied myself in. I went for the massive house. I went for the car. I went for all of it. How do I come back from that? And do you know what? It is difficult. So my encouragement would be, if you are younger, you have got an opportunity to sort this now. And just be like, I am going to set myself up that I am going to live under my means. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing when that happens because then suddenly it's like, do you know what, I can be generous. And when I'm talking about generosity, I'm not just talking about giving to the church. I think that's important. But I'm talking about kingdom generosity that goes way beyond that. I'm talking about something where you can sit there and you could go, do you know, I have a pot of money that I put aside in order that I can bless people. It's built into our budget that you sit there and go, we budget for the fact that we can bless people. Suddenly that begins to change the way that you think because again, you're going, it's not mine, it's, but I have to be intentional about it, otherwise it doesn't happen. What would it look like? This is, this is a question that I've been asking. What would it look like as you get comparatively richer? Generally, that happens in life. It doesn't always happen. But during your life, you generally get comparatively richer to become more generous every year. So let's say, let's say you're a student here. Would you say that you're generous now? And then all the way through, and it's like, because I think that's what maturity in Jesus is. It's not that we're just like, well, this is a fixed point. I think that the Lord would say, do you know what? As you have more, he or she who's faithful with little, would you be faithful with much? As I entrust you this, would you be faithful? And so therefore, it's this beautiful concept of every year, I could be more generous than the year before. That you begin to build that in and you think that's the way that I'd love to live. Do you know what? Generosity releases the kingdom in environments. I genuinely believe that. When people generously move into an environment, what happens is in the same way sometimes when we pray for healing and then healing enters an environment, it changes the atmosphere. I think generosity changes the atmosphere as well. I think it's a kingdom principle. When you see somebody who is not under the, I don't want to use the word curse, the, the power of mammon, and you see them, and you see the open-handedness in them, it is beautiful. It's like, you see it in them, and you're like, that, that's what Jesus looks like. They're just open-handed. And, you know, that's, that's my prayer for us as a community, that we would become ever more open-handed. 
that we would grow in this gift of generosity. Generous people know the experience of blessing, which can be immediate, is often abundant, and more importantly, is eternal. So they know those three things. Now, many of you are already committed to investing financially in all we do as a church. You're faithfully giving both regularly and to special things that Falmouth, when we gave to that as a church, that you gave generously to that. Some of you are yet to commit to giving regularly, and I'd love you to encourage thinking about that this evening, to think about it, to pray, to come before the Lord and just be like, Lord, what are you asking? What's your wisdom in this area of my life? What would you, have, what would you say to me? Of course, your giving will enable the church to do what God's called us to do, and that's wonderful. But genuinely, I want this for you. I want this idea of generosity for you. I want your life and your experience of eternity to be enriched. I often get asked by Christians who want to start giving, well, how much should I give? Can you give me a guideline? And I've read a lot of books on this, and many authors point to the principle of the tithe or giving a tenth of your income. Now, in the New Testament, we are no longer under law, but we're now under grace. Genuinely believe that. We don't live under the law, and we're encouraged to use the rule of the tenth as a guideline. Now, some people say, do you know what? I'm no longer under the law. I'm like, but does that mean under grace, surely we would be more generous? Rather than it's like, what's the minimum that I can get away with in life? If, if that's the question that we're asking, then we haven't caught the heart of generosity. If it's about minimums, then it's like, we haven't got it. So I don't think that we live under the Old Testament law. I genuinely think we live under grace and we live under, the, live under the New Testament law. But I think that this principle of generosity runs throughout the scriptures. And I think there is something around the first fruits um, that we give the Lord the best of what we have. And so we work that out. But if you've not really given in a significant way before, a tenth might sound like a lot, but experience shows that the 90% will go further than the 100% would if we kept it to ourselves. If 10% seems like too big a step, start somewhere. 2%, 5%, work up. I think that this genuinely is a journey that we go on through our whole life. So some, some people, like, they've never given. It's just not even crossed their minds. For others, sometimes they'll throw something into the collection. For others of you, you're like, oh, do you know what? I give something regularly. For others, they give a tithe. They're like, I give a tenth. And for others, they give beyond the tithe. And so I guess my point is that we're to grow in this gift of generosity as we go on. And then it's really about our heart attitudes before the Lord. But I'd encourage you to start that journey of generosity. It's an invitation to all of us. Now, you might be saying, what if I'm in debt or under considerable financial pressure? Well, you need to seek the Lord on what he'd have you do. Every situation is different. Every situation is different. And I don't want to say anything to increase the sense of burden that you may already have. But if it was me... I start somewhere. I start in this process. One main re reason why people don't get their giving sorted out is not because they're resistant, but often simply that they don't get round to it. It's like, I did mean, I, ju I just never got there. Do you know what? That was my experience as a student. I was a Christian, and actually my wife came to faith later than me. As, as we were students, she came to faith. She sorted her giving a year before me. Because she... She just sorted it. I just hadn't got quite round to it. Um, and, you know, we have put a number of just envelopes there. If this isn't your church and you're just visiting, I'd love you to go back to your church and be generous. Don't worry about our church. But go back to your 
church and be outrageously generous because I think that's the principle that we're talking about is generosity. And so those forms, they're, they're just on the seats. And for some of you, you just might know that you might want to fill it in. Your, your income may well have changed over the last year or so. And you might not have evaluated your giving in a long time. So I've talked a lot about generosity this evening, but do you know what? I just love to pray. Jesus, I'm aware that whenever I talk about money, there's a clash of the kingdoms that occurs. And so Jesus, I just want to give this subject of generosity into your hands right now. I want to pray that if there's anything that I've said that's unhelpful, that it would fall away right now in the name of Jesus and anything that is helpful would remain. So Jesus, let your power come right now. Lord, we want to be an outrageously generous people. Lord, would you show me what the next step of generosity looks like? Would you show me and Jen what that looks like in our own lives? In the name of Jesus, amen.